0: 1 John chapter 3. We're actually going to cover the biggest bulk of verses we have yet. So, I know, great night to choose that on. But um, we're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter. So, 1 John 3.11. For this is the message that we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil. And his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So, verse 16, By this we know love, that he lay down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet he closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask from Him, uh, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son Jesus Christ and love one another, just as He commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. So, Lord, I pray that you draw all of us to yourself tonight by your grace, come and illuminate to our hearts the very scriptures that we hold. Give us pure understanding. And motivate in us a love that comes from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Alright, so, as you guys know by now, 1 John is about assurance. Knowing beyond all doubt that you are meaning you're going to have eternal life forever. So John is writing a criteria, a checklist, so that you can match yourself to it and see, am I an assured believer or am I simply assuming my salvation? And he wants us to have that assurance, that full-blown assurance. So it's our goal that our life matches up with this book. And if it doesn't at any point, that's where we need to pray for God's grace to help us in those points because I do not want to die 90% sure that I have eternal life. I want to die 100% sure. No fear, no doubt whatsoever. So, we now move into the second part of the book. What John has basically said for the first two and a half chapters is if you love Jesus, you have full assurance of eternal life. If you love Jesus. And he's got a lot of words to explain what it means to love Jesus. And we looked at that. Now he shifts gears, as we saw in verse 10 last week. He says, um, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. That's the whole loving Jesus part. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now we're dealing with loving our brother. And so... We find that our second main point of this book is that we have full assurance of eternal life if we love the believers in the church, if we love our brethren. Now, once again, love here, John's going to have to spend some time explaining what it means to love your brother because it's not, as we said in Loving Jesus, it's not just gushy, sentimental feelings, it's not simple admiration, and it's not mere acceptance. There is an active and aggressive lifestyle that is propelled by the love. And it is evident. When you read the qualifications here in the earlier parts of 1 John, I think you and I see that the person is describing, you have zero doubt about his salvation. You know that person loves Jesus wholeheartedly. And so now he's going to describe what it means to love the brethren. Again, that's not, oh, I can tolerate them. I've never said anything mean about them. Oh, I give them a hug every now and then. I've never said a bad word about them. That's fine and all, but is that what it means to love somebody? Or is there more to it than that? Well, John in verse 11 says, this is the message we've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So that's where we're going. We're aiming for the love aspect between the person next to you and the person across from you and the person up here. and the people down there, and the people at every other fellowship on this mountain, and the students at RIM too. All the believers that you ever come across, this is who we're dealing with. You and them. As a corporate solidarity. Love for them. So, if you love one another, you have assurance of eternal life. That's the condition. Now, what we're going to see is a negative example, meaning this is not love, and then a positive example, meaning this is love, and then at the end, John's going to tell us how to walk in the positive example of what love is. All right? So the negative example, first of all, is Cain. He demonstrates for us what it means not to love somebody. That was in verse 12. And that's what John up says. We should not be like Cain. Why? <laughs> Cain did not love Abel. He murdered Abel. Quite the contrary of love. <laughs> pretty clear. I love how John is so simple here. And I mean, you're like, Seriously, like, can you pull out a better example of who not to imitate in loving your brother? Hmm, you have to get far. Like Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4. Found it, Cain. <laughs> Don't be like Cain, who opposite of loving, rather than giving his brother a hug out in the backwoods looking at the starry night when he had a little issue with him. You know, I just want to reconcile Give you a little hug. He said, listen brother, I have a word to tell you. And when he goes in to give him a hug, pfft, knife goes in his chest. A little weasel. That's Cain. No love whatsoever. He hated to the point he murdered. So that's why John says, don't be like this negative example Cain, who was of the evil one, that's Satan, and murdered his brother. I love this question. Why did he murder him? <laughs> Look at the answer. Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Does that answer the question for you? Why did Cain do such an evil deed? Answer: Because his deeds were evil. Oh, well, thanks. That's like why is the sun hot? Because it's hot. That, that's like virtually how it's being answered. Why is Stephen tall? Because he's tall. These are not answers for us. So um, when I read that, like thanks, I was really curious. And the question was asked: Why did he murder him? Like, oh, good question. Why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil. Oh. I knew that already. And his brother's righteous, though. So there's a polar opposite. It's not just that Cain was a bad dude. It's that Abel was a good dude. When we get to verse 18, he says, Little children, let us love in word. not Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So, the deeds that we have, are outworkings of something inside. I think that's what John's trying to say here in in Cain. Why did he murder Abel? Because his deeds were evil. Well, yeah, we know that the murder was evil, but why? Because the deed is an outworking of what's going on in the heart. That's what he means by deed. So, what came out of the heart was evil, meaning, if it came out of the heart evil, it, it came from an evil source. So, his problem was the heart, and the deed was evil because it came from the heart. You could in other words, you put deed and put fruit there. His fruit was evil. I'm getting this from previous passage at verse 9, where John said, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning because God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. The heart has the seed of God. Think of a seed and it, it sprouts fruit. The fruit that comes out of the branches... Is connected directly to the seed that's planted. So if I plant a pumpkin seed and I get apples, there's a big problem. But if I plant a pumpkin seed and I get pumpkins, big, juicy, luscious, cute little pumpkins. I love pumpkins. It's a great time of year. <laughs> um, you get pumpkins, and that's that's what you would expect putting a pumpkin seed in. So we cannot sin 3 verse 9 said because God's seed is in us so we're bearing the fruit of the spirit the fruit of God we're demonstrating our deeds are like Christ but Cain was of a different sort of seed he wasn't of God's seed John was saying in that passage you're the son of God or you're the son of the devil and who is Cain verse 12 said he was of the evil one and murdered his brother he's the son of the devil so does he have God's seed in him no. That's what God's sons have. He has the devil's seed in him. So what fruit do we expect to come out of him? Devilish deeds. Dark, devilish deeds. And that's what came out. So that is what the deed is. Why did he kill his brother? Because his deeds were evil. I would just insert certain, go all the way and say because the seed in his heart was rotten, so he gave the result that you would expect from that seed. Now, this imagery is not wholly off the map at all. John is pulling from Genesis. Um, when we were in Genesis 3, you guys will remember, I hope, I trust, we looked at the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And early on in Genesis, there was a split made throughout humanity, and you know that all humanity is on one side or the other. A seed is basically an offspring. It's, it's the produce of your body. And so spiritually, you're going to produce works according to the seed. So the seed of the woman was is Jesus, that seed that came from Eve went all the way down, and we looked at at that one point, I looked at seed through the Old Testament and how it ends up all the way to Jesus. He is the seed, and that is the one that we want to be of the seed of Christ, His seed in us bearing the fruits of Christ. But there was a the seed of the serpent as well in Genesis 3:15, and that's all the descendants of the serpent. He has got all his little minions and his little children and they are producing devilish deeds on this earth. So, that was said in Genesis 3.15. There's going to be enmity between the woman and the serpent, between her descendants, all the Christians, and between his descendants, all the little minions of the devil. Non-Christians, in other words. Tension. That's why John said, don't be surprised in verse 13 if the world hates you. God said in Genesis 3.15 there's going to be that war between the two. And then you get to Genesis 4 and the point of that passage is to show us that the seeds are already at work in humanity. Abel was of the seed of the woman, of Christ. He was righteous. But Cain? Seed of the serpent. Seed of the devil. So what did Cain do? Enmity between the two, hostility. The world, Cain hates the believer, Abel, and he kills him. So, that, John is pulling from that and putting here in the church situation and saying, don't love like Cain did. He didn't love. There's a problem in his heart. So, he was a totally bad example. Now, um, the sons of the devil are just that. They're murderers. Jesus said this to the Pharisees. He called them sons of the serpent, meaning they're the seed of the serpent, meaning they're children of the devil. (laughs) Jesus wasn't very nice to them. Well, he was very nice son. He told him exactly how it is. <laughs> well, he said this to the Pharisees. John 8:44, 44. You are of your father the devil. <laughs> Can you imagine the faith that they gave him after that? Well, we're the sons of Abraham. What are you talking about? You're the father. Your father is the devil. Oh, I don't like this guy. And your will is to do your father's desires. Okay, now you're taking it too far. He was a murderer from the beginning. It has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. Satan was a murderer from the beginning. He murdered Adam and Eve. Got them to die by transgressing against God. He then led Cain to murder Abel. It's the way of the devil to murder. That is why John says believers have to love each other. Because if you don't, you're, you're proving yourself as the seed of the serpent. That is the way the devil, is murdered. Oh, come on. Brandon... I've never murdered anybody. Well, we've heard about moral murder, have we not? What Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 21, You've heard that it was said, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But, forget that. I say to you something more severe. Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, Jesus just totally redefined murder for us and said, if you're angry with your brother, if you're calling him names, if there's no peace between the two of you, Jesus said, you, in your heart, have murdered that person. Because sin, before it's an action of the body, it's a condition of the heart. And that's what Jesus is getting to. He looks at the heart of man. We only usually look at the action of man. But he sees what's in the heart, and that's where sin starts. And so, we suddenly have a severe standard here where John's not just saying, yeah, yeah, you guys are all good because you never really killed each other. That's just for the really bad people in prison. He's not getting to the heart of every single human being and saying, Christians, don't harbor negative feelings against other Christians, ever. And if they do, that has to be addressed, because Christians don't leave it there. Let us love one another. That's his message. So, don't be like Cain. Now the positive example, verse 16. By this we know love, that he, he's obviously referring to Jesus here, he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. (laughs) That's great. That's that's just great. So that's love, John. I have to go kill myself for Fritz? Now back up. How practical is that? This is the message. Kill yourselves. Prove that you love each other. And then we're all laying... Whoa. We're all laying here dead. (laughs) And where's the love to show in that? There's blood on the floor and no one's here. So how can you show love through killing yourself? Clearly, that that can't be the message. All right, this is love to so lay down your life for everyone. So, Brie, right now, we're going to find out if you love us. Do you love us? I do! Then take the bullet to the head, sucker! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sorry. I just, you know, I always juggle with that verse. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Well, yeah, go ahead. Is it like, can you kill yourself through someone? You definitely, yes, love would. It wouldn't hesitate if the opportunity comes. But we're asking, does that mean that we have to seek opportunities to kill ourselves for people? No. I, I don't think that's necessarily beneficial. I mean, I could die for Fritz right now. You know, I just set just, just, something up. We're walking down to the, to the gas station like I did with Youth Call a couple of weeks ago. Um, we decided to walk the highway down, you know. it just was. <laughs> uh, I've never done that. I felt so ghetto. It was horrible. And so we're there, and we're all joking around that we're gonna die, literally. There's that one tight turn when we get close to the gas station, and I was, and there's, there's like this much space between the white line and the rocks, and I'm like we're so gonna die. I hope I don't see anybody. Sure enough, someone I drove by and said, "Hi, Brandon." Oh no, I've been seeing with these people. <laughs> and so we're walking along, and um. They? Oh, yeah, we could totally just set it up. Like, pretend, oh my gosh, a car's coming. I jumped out and get hit by it. And, oh, I saved all your lives, and now I'm going to heaven because I proved ultimate love. I died for you. I'm sitting there barely breathing at the end. I made it. Thank you, guys. And they're all weeping for me. and like, oh, he really loves us. He he jumped in front of a car for us, and there was even no danger. What a man. No. <laughs> no. See, obviously, that's that's... I'm glad you guys find it funny, because that shows that that's not the case. (laughs) So, what we do is we look at the next verse. And John explains how you lay down your life for your brother. If anyone, verse 17, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So the point being, how can you lay down your life for somebody? Well, you see one of your Christian brothers in need. And if I choose not to address that need, I'm not loving him. But if, on the other hand, I give to him and meet his very need, John says, I'm laying down my life for him. In what sense? In the fact that I'm sacrificing. Whatever the need is, it may be valuable to me, but maybe, like Jesus said, if you have two cloaks, give one to the one that has none but I love both of them. They're both my favorite. I need a pink outfit and a blue outfit. I need a summer outfit and a winter outfit. I know, maybe girls, but... um, But that's the point. That's laying down, you're like sacrificing something you need and could use for the sake of someone who needs it more. So that's how we lay down our life is through that sacrificial love and giving to them. But how often do we turn the other way and just, oh, that sucks for you, dude. I wouldn't do that next time, yeah, you know, it's kind of your fault. It's, sometimes it's our attitude. But amongst Christian brethren, notice that John's context is Christians. It's not necessarily um, homeless bums on the street. Although I'm not saying don't help them. I'm just saying he's not saying if you turn your eye from them, it's not same context. He's talking about the Christian community has to use sacrificial love to meet needs of others. Christians don't let other Christians suffer especially when it's within their means to help them. That's the active, positive demonstration of love. If Jesus could give his life for us, how can we not give a possession for a brethren? Or even time? It's such... (laughs) It doesn't even compare. We were in need, and Jesus gave his life for that need. We can surely give a shirt, or give some time, or give some energy, or give some love. So that's the sacrificial giving of ourselves. Now, of course, as, um, I forgot your name, but that's cool. As you pointed out, um, if there's an opportunity to lay physically your life down for somebody, a Christian will do that. Because they love not their life to death. They love people. And they are excited to get through this anyways. So that's a positive example. Oh, and notice that verse 18. It says, let us not love and just talk, but in and truth. So this is where we say, are we actually loving the brethren? <laughs> are we? Because then I'd ask you, show me how. John said in indeed and in truth. I sit here and think, and I, this is where I kind of start to search myself and think, of course I love everybody here. Of course I love all the Christians. But then if somebody asks me, how have you shown that? I would say, maybe we're not active enough in loving one another. You see, to love the brethren doesn't mean, oh, I haven't murdered them. I'm not hating anybody. I'm totally at peace. Everyone's cool with me. But John is saying, that's just word. That's just talk. Indeed. As Jesus came and indeed gave His life. You, indeed, in work and effort in showing your love for them. Have we found ways to positively, aggressively demonstrate love for the brethren. That is what the world hungers for and that's the ultimate witness of every Christian. is that positive, active, sacrificial love for the brethren. And the cistern, of course. And that, I honestly, that hurts me because I, I don't see the church doing this. We suck, at Mike would hate me if he heard me say that. We stink in this regard. Keep me accountable. I need that. Because if I say that downstairs, I will be in trouble. <laughs> we stink in this regard. We, we are just so passive and we just come to church, whatever, we don't even find out the needs of other people. But that is to John, assurance of eternal life is that Christian who loves the brethren to the point that he's, he's sacrificing, he's laying down his life to find their needs and to meet those needs. That's what Jesus does for us daily. And that's what we ought to do when we're doing that, none of us will ever doubt our faith. Even if the biggest atheist came in here and shot down every single truth we hold to, because of this assurance we're experiencing in life, we would never even waver. The reason why we doubt at times is because we aren't walking as we were meant to walk. So that's the positive example. Jesus Christ, sacrificial love. Now as we've established what it means to love one another, it must, this is an important juncture to say why. Why is it important that we have this type of love? Why is John addressing all this? And the issue, I think you guys know by now, the whole issue of the book, the reason why is because he wants you to have assurance of eternal life. If we're not meeting this criteria, you're sitting here in a dark room not sure if you're reading Tolstoy or Dostoevsky. And some of you don't even know what I just said. (laughs) Um... Verse 14, well, starting actually verse 13, this is the whole why part. He said, don't be surprised if the world hates you. We already looked at that. Verse 14, we know. Just put the word assurance in there. That's what assurance means, I know. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. So if we don't love the brothers, we don't know that we passed out of death into life. And then verse 15, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. That's what we talked about, the moral murder. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So if we don't have that active, aggressive love for one another, we're in danger of being in the murdering side. And if you're in the murdering side, John says, there is no doubt that you have no eternal life in you. You're toast at that point. No murderer has eternal life. Why? Because a murderer is someone who hates his brother. And what did verse 13 say hates the brothers? It said the world hates the brothers. So if I hate the brothers, and the world hates the brothers, what does that make me? A worldling. And you know what happens to worldlings in the world? Look at that in 2 verse 17. Good of me to put a sticky right over the verse. (laughs) And the world is passing away along with its desires. The world is passing away along with its desires. So all who hate the Christians are going to pass away too because they're of the world and the world is passing away. So that's why you cannot have eternal life living forever if you hate the Christians. Because you're going to pass away. And eternal life doesn't pass away. That's why they can't mix in John's view. So, that's why we need that active Christ-like sacrificial love for people meeting their needs within the body of Christ. That's why. That's big stuff. Now, the last paragraph, verses 19-24, is the application section, and it tells us how to go about this. Because maybe there's conviction here, Maybe we know that, you know, I do have a grudge against somebody. I'm not necessarily able to love this Christian or this brother or sister. Or I know that I've been way too passive in my love for the body, and I am totally selfish, and I'm not exercising Christ-like sacrificial love meeting the needs of the brethren. At this point, we need, to, we need help. I need help. Or I need to say, what do I do, John? How do I fix this? Maybe you do have something in your heart that can't love somebody. And that is part of human nature, and that's something that needs to be fixed. So what do we do, John? John will tell us, thankfully. Two ways. So, let's look at verse 19 through 20. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, what does that mean? God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Whenever our heart condemns us, what this means is, my heart is going contrary to what I should be doing. What should I be doing? Loving the brethren. So when my heart is contrary to that goal, that's what it means by when your heart condemns you. It's telling you, you can't love that person. Your heart refuses to love that person. What do you do at that point? I think we've been there at some point where there's just somebody you don't want to love. The heart refuses. The human old nature is there taking over. What do you do? The first way to love our neighbors is to let God infuse His love where our heart refuses to love Him. And that's exactly what John said here. He said um, in verse 20, our heart condemns us, but God is greater than our heart. And that's the key that you need to understand. Your heart may not be able to love that person, but God is greater than your heart. And God is nothing for Him to take that heart and to remantle it and say, love infusion you love them now and it happens it works that's why I say we must let God infuse his love where our heart refuses to love God is greater than our heart so the heart condemning you and saying you can't go to them they've hurt you way too bad something they've done to your siblings I've heard all these rivalry stories and stuff let not the heart condemn you and let God who's greater than your heart change that infuse his love into it Second, proper belief in Jesus produces proper benevolence for people. This is verse 23. This is the commandment that we have in the name... Or this is the commandment that we, one, believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and then two, love one another just as He commanded us. I don't think those two are coincidental. That and is huge bridge. Believe in Jesus and result, love one another. Not two separate commands. I see them as one. You nail the first, you get the second. I look back at Genesis 3 and 4. Adam and Eve, man, ruin the whole believing, trusting in God aspect, follow the serpent. That's dismantled. So what happens in chapter 4? Man's relation with each other becomes dismantled and Cain kills Abel. Before that, when man is right with God, man is right with man. But when this breaks, this breaks. And that's why number two is there. It says, believe in Jesus and you'll behave fine with other people. So proper belief leads to proper benevolence for others. So our measure of faith in Jesus, how much we trust Him, how much we love Him, how much we are intimate and know Him, translates into how easy it is for us to love people. If we're having trouble there, I guarantee you're having trouble with Jesus himself. So get that right, and then you'll have assurance. And so that's why I close here now with verse 22, 21. Beloved, on the other hand, remember you think if your heart condemns you, what do you do? God's greater than your heart. But here's the other side. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have what? Confidence or assurance before God. So in other words, if your heart's having no trouble loving all the brethren, that's your confidence before God. You have assurance of eternal life. So Father, I pray that you help us to love one another, that every Christian on this mountain and in this midst would be unified by that peace and that love for one another, that sacrificial love that Jesus gave to us. Help us to be proactive in that. And Lord, when our heart resists, You're greater than our hearts and we surrender them to you and ask that you help us to love. In your son's name we pray. Amen.